God, thank you so much uh, for who you are, for all you have done for us in our lives, for all that you have blessed us with. God, we are thankful this morning to even be just sitting in this place, to be able to worship, to be able to open up your word. God, it's such, a, such an honor and a privilege. And this morning, God, I don't, I don't take this, this morning's message lightly, God. I want you to, to, to speak through me as you do every week, God. Would you speak through me? Let the words that are coming out of my mouth not be my words, but they, would they be your words for your people on your day, God? We are here to hear from you. God, I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. We are, uh, believe it or not, already in week seven of this series, uh, week seven of Gospel Above All, and uh, we are uh, just kind of looking over the course of this series uh, to really just put the gospel first and foremost in our lives. This is really what, the, what this series is all about. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, uh, and he just says to them, this is, I, I pass on to you what is of first importance, that Jesus uh, died according to the scriptures, that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. This is of first importance. The gospel is of first importance. Importance. How do we, as the people of God, put the gospel as first importance in our lives? What does it look like? What, what is the gospel? This is kind of how we've opened up this series, right? What is, what is this gospel that is of first importance? And so we, we spent the first three weeks really talking about this gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. Talking about how this gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel that saves us. This God, this holy, just creator God, looked upon human beings in our sin and decided not to leave us there, but to send his son so that we might be restored to him forever. This is the gospel that saves us. But this gospel doesn't just save us, this gospel transforms us. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, that, that do not be conformed to the, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. That this gospel is transforming our minds. It is transforming you and me to be the kind of people that God is calling us to be, to mature into the image of Jesus Christ. The gospel, it saves us, it transforms us, but it also sends us out. It looks at the Great Commission and saw that our, our mission is to go, to make disciples, to baptize people, to teach them everything that God has commanded us, but we don't do so under our own power. We do so because Jesus has both given us the authority and promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. We have the authority of Jesus and the power of the Spirit pushing us out on this mission to go, make disciples, baptize people, teach them to obey everything that God has commanded. So this is what the gospel is. This is what the gospel does. But then now, what, what do we do with this? How does the gospel affect your life and my life? And so we began this, this journey really looking at how, what the gospel does in and through our lives. We looked at gospel evangelism. That we need to be sharing this gospel. That this gospel is not just for you and me, but it is for the whole world. And that week, I challenge you to think about your one. Who is your one? Who are you praying for? Who is the one person that you can pray for and invest in that you want them to come to a relationship with Jesus? Who is you? I've been praying for your ones. <laughs> I've been praying for your ones that they might come to know Jesus and that someday uh, we might even baptize some of your ones in this baptismal right here because they have come to know Jesus through the power of your prayer 
and, and just from watching your life. This is evangelism, gospel evangelism. We looked at gospel grace, how to treat people with compassion over condemnation, how to, how to kind of uh, do both, Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. He, he brought her in, woman who condemns you, no one condemns you. I'm not condemning you either, but go and leave your life of sin. There's a difference between condemnation and compassion. We need to do We need to have the mind of Jesus. Err on the side of compassion, but speak with grace and truth. So last week we began kind of this two-week journey of talking about what a gospel community looks like. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 12 uh, and looked at some of the characteristics of this gospel community that we are called uh, to be, we belong to one another, we are gifted to one another, we're called to love one another, encourage one another, push each other on, Uh, we are called for each other, that we are meant to live in this gospel community, both on this small scale here at Fresno First Church of the Nazarene and large scale the, the whole entire gospel community of Christians around the world. That we are a part of a gospel community. You know, the last, the last half of that word community is where I want to focus on this morning, and it's unity. We're going to talk about gospel unity within this gospel community. Uh, it doesn't take long uh, to... Uh, I mean, it doesn't take long. It probably takes, you know, 30 seconds on social media or uh, maybe 10 minutes in a real-life conversation to, to understand that our culture and our world is a divided country, a divided world, a divided culture. Uh, everybody is, it has their own uh, perspectives, everybody has their own opinions, and everybody really truly believes that they are right. And you should believe just like they do. We live in a divided world. And it's not just what, uh, <clears throat> what side we choose or don't choose politically. It ranges from big, kind of life-changing issues to small, like, this is my favorite fast food restaurant, and if you don't like their french fries, you're wrong. Like, there, there are all, the, the, it runs the gamut of big things and small things, that we are a culture that just loves to disagree we love to kind of be on opposite sides of each other. And, and this is just, we are a divided culture. The division is, is overwhelming at times, but let me tell you this, it's natural. It's natural for us to be divided at times. It's natural for people to disagree. Uh, and it's, it's natural even to have uh, these divisions in the church. You know, there are some even in this room who politically lean a little left or lean a little right. There's some here, you know, uh, theologically that lean one way or lean the other way. There's some way ideologically that lean one way or the other way. There are some here that prefer McDonald's french fries over In-N-Out. And that's just wrong. But uh, I'm just saying, uh, division is natural even in the church. There are times in which division is going to be natural. And and it's because we have a gospel that is far-reaching and all-inclusive. And when you bring in people from everywhere into this gospel community that we talked about last week, you're going to come into these times where there is disagreement and just disunity. This isn't just a, a, a 2020 thing, though. I hope you know that. This has been happening since the beginning of time. It's been happening since, I mean, speaking specifically of our Christian faith, this has been happening since Jesus even called his disciples. I don't know if you know this or not, but when Jesus calls his disciples, uh, one of his disciples is Simon the Zealot. 
I don't know if you know what a zealot is, but a zealot is someone who really uh, wanted to overthrow Rome. They really thought that Rome was just this oppressor that needed to be overthrown, something needed to be done, there needed to be like a coup. Uh, they just they pushed back, and, and a lot of times these were, these were violent people, that if you disagreed with them, they were going to go after you. I don't know if you know this, but there's another guy in the disciples, his name is Matthew, and he is a tax collector. Did I die? No, I'm here. All right, here we go. So you have Simon the Zealot, who is on one side of the political spectrum, and you have Matthew the tax collector, who is essentially a government employee. (laughs) You can imagine here that they did not agree on everything. You can imagine here that there were some disagreements around the campfire about what, what it looks like to live out our faith in our culture. What it looks like to follow Jesus, who was also around the campfire. What does it look like to follow him and to live like he does and still believe what I believe? I, it's just, you know, these divisions have been going on since the beginning. But here's, here's what I want us to, to see this morning. Jesus calls us, even in our disagreements and even in our differences, to unity. To unity. One of the last things that Jesus does before he gets arrested and goes to the cross in the book of John is pray. And I want to just read that prayer this morning. It's in John chapter 17, uh, starting at verse 20. If you're in one of our pew Bibles, it's on page 930. Uh, John chapter 17, starting at verse 20. Again, this is, the, this is the end of Jesus' kind of ministry here. This is literally right before he gets arrested, uh, goes to trial, gets crucified. This is, this is one of the last things that he says, and he's, he's praying. And I want you to hear this prayer this morning. Here's what he says. My prayer is not for them alone, and by them alone, he's talking about his disciples. He's just been, just been praying for his disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's that's us. I don't know if you know that or not. That's you and me. If you are in here and you're a believer in Christ, Jesus is praying for you. Here's what he says. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I want you to just see the power in what Jesus is praying here. Jesus is praying for complete unity. Now, does that mean that Every follower of Jesus is going to agree on every single issue? No. But complete unity in the gospel. Complete unity in the mission. Complete unity in, in how to move forward. Paul is, uh, is right, well, that's why I want to uh, just look here. This is, a, this is a purposeful prayer as well, that this unity is not just for unity's sake, but this unity is so that the world will know. I, I want you to hear this this morning, that the unity of the church affects the spread of the gospel in the world. 
The unity of the church affects the spread of the gospel in the world. Jesus is praying that we might be completely united so that the world will know that he has sent, that God sent Jesus and also that he loved them like he loved Jesus. Think about this. The, the unity of the church affects the spread of the gospel in the world. This is so important, but this is so not easy. This is not an easy thing to do, to be united together in a church and not just this church, but big C church that is so different and with different people. That's why I want to look uh, at a passage in Romans chapter 14 today. So if you want to go to Romans chapter 14, uh, we're going to actually spend, we're going to read a lot of Romans chapter 14 and actually into chapter 15 today. It's on page 976 if you're in our pew Bibles. Uh, but as you turn, I just want to write kind of a, or just set up a context of where Paul is writing to in this passage. Paul is writing to a church uh, in Rome, as you can tell in the letters to the Romans. Uh, he's writing to a church in Rome. This is kind of a, a cosmopolitan sort of church. Uh, and the followers in this church are having disagreements. They're disagreeing about what kind of food can we eat? What days should be most important? You know, some, of these, some of these issues that they are, they are going through. Uh, and so there are people who, and they're a church, and they are disagreeing on some things. And Paul addresses this in chapter 14 and in the chapter 15. And so I want to just read this because as we're talking about being united in a church and in a culture where, where we are divided, where there's different thoughts on a lot of different things and how we be united, I want to just read what Paul says to this church here uh, in Romans chapter 14. So Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 1. And actually, like I said, we're going we're gonna to kind of read a lot. We're going to read the whole chapter and into, the verse, into chapter 15 a little bit. So stay with me. Read along with me. Uh, we're going to read a lot here this morning. Here's what it says. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. <clears throat> Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die to, for the Lord. So whether we live or, lie, live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. 
I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, eat, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Therefore, I'm sorry, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that, it, that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about those things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubt is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the, endur- and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll stop there this morning. But I want us to to just see here what is going on in this passage. I want to just kind of think of this in general terms. The question here that Paul is answering is, is how can a church hold together with members that are so different? There are some who believe one thing, some who believe another. Some who believe that we shouldn't eat meat because of our faith. Some of them who think we can. Some of them who think we should celebrate certain days. Some of us think all the days are the same. How do we, how do we get along? How do we, how do we unite even though we are, we are different in these, in these ways? I mean, think about just that there's... Just think about how they're, even, how they're even talked about in this passage. Paul talks about the people with strong faith who can eat meat and the people with a weak faith who can't. I mean, Paul is 
kind of taking sides here, right? He's, he's talking about, like, I, I, there's nothing, I don't see anything wrong. People with the stronger faith can have this. People with the weaker faith can't. But I think even, even just that dynamic, I don't think we need to necessarily talk about it in those terms, strong and weak. I think they're just different. They're different. They have different opinions on different things. And I don't, I, Paul, we can go even more into this. Paul was not uh, trying to make some people's faith like bigger than another person's faith. He's just trying to, uh, we can go into that in a little bit later maybe. But, but this, in the original language here, he's not talking about like your faith is better than this person's. He's just talking about you can, you can do more with your faith than this person can. You have more allowance in your faith to do some of this stuff than this person can. That's what he's talking about with strong and weak. But you can, you can imagine here that each of these two groups on either issue, the people that are thinking, I can eat meat or I can't eat meat, the people that are thinking, I need to celebrate these certain days, the people that are saying every day is the same, both groups probably think they're right. In fact, I'm sure they think they're right or they wouldn't think that. Both of these groups think they're right. They, they're, they are divided on these issues. And, and Paul is kind of acknowledging this. And so here's, here's, here's the question. How do, we, how do we acknowledge as a church that there are people in our church, and, and especially in this church that we're writing about here, but it's true for our church as well, there are people here with different convictions and different, different ideas. How do we unite? What is it that brings us together? And, and here's the answer. We get a few different answers in this passage, I think. I think this passage is a great passage to teach us about how to be united in a church that, is, that has different ideas about all kinds of different things. Right, but here's, here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, be different churches. Paul did not come to this church in Rome and say, all right, you people with the strong faith who think you can eat meat, Here's a carnivore church for you. And here's a vegetarian church for all you other folk. Here's a church for all of you people who believe that we should celebrate certain days. And here's a church for all of you who just think every day is the same. That didn't happen. Paul didn't come into this church and split it. He didn't come into this church and say, like, That's, it's cool you believe that, it's cool you believe that, but let's kind of just go our own different ways then. No, Paul comes to this church, and here's, here's what he says. He says, welcome each other. Amen. Welcome each other. Verse, the, we, we build our unity around the most important thing, which is Jesus. We build our unity in Jesus. It doesn't matter if we have disagreements about small issues. We, we build our unity around Jesus. 14.1 says, welcome each other, accept one another. Now, in chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, uh, lays it out pretty clear. May the God of hope, may the God who gives encouragement, sorry, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. One mind, one voice. Yeah, there's some disagreements here. Yeah, there's some differences of opinion here. But with one mind and one voice, glorify God in heaven. This community that Paul is talking to, he's calling them to unity around Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about. 
This is where the unity in the church centers on. It's where it, it comes from. I just put plainly in this passage, if the Christians in Rome focused on God instead of just days to celebrate or, or what they can and can't eat, Sorry, if they were focusing not on God, not on Jesus, and instead choosing to focus on these smaller side issues that they disagreed on, there would be some damage in the church. And I just want to say this this morning. Anytime the church loses its focus on Jesus and puts our focus on something else, anything else, political power, anything else, we do damage to the church. Amen. Anytime. Anytime the church loses focus on Jesus and places its focus anywhere else, we do damage to the church. Amen. So how do we build unity in the church around Jesus? I think this, this passage gives us some answers here. And here's, here's where we'll start. I think Scripture's clear. When, when Scripture speaks clearly and essentially about an issue, we need to obey the Word. When Scripture speaks clearly and essentially about an issue, we need to obey the Word. Now, these issues that they're talking about in this passage, do I eat meat, do I not eat meat? Do I celebrate certain days, do I, do I not celebrate any days? These are not main issues. This is not the main thing. Scripture doesn't doesn't clear on which one is right or wrong. In fact, you could make an argument probably both ways in Scripture for eating meat, for not eating meat. You could could make an argument for all of these things. But Scripture's not clear that we should or should not do this. But Scripture is very clear on some things that we need to obey. I think immediately of just the Ten Commandments. Those are not disputed anywhere in Scripture. Shouldn't steal. Shouldn't lie. Shouldn't murder. I mean, you can look at these Ten Commandments and say, these are, these are pretty clear things in Scripture that we need to obey. And when Scripture is clear, love one another. Right? Love each other. <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself, the golden rule. When Scripture is clear, we need to obey the Scripture. When Scripture is clear, we obey the Scripture. There are issues that are, that are extremely clear in Scripture, and, and we have freedom to think differently about some things, but other things are essential. And on those essential things, we need to obey. Here's, here's where this passage gets into it, though, because when, when God's Word does not say clearly and essentially, speak clearly and essentially about an issue, we need to do what we believe best honors Jesus. If there's an issue that Scripture is not clear and essential on, we need to do whatever we think best honors Jesus. I just want to read just a little bit of what Paul says to these people here, starting in verse uh, 6, or starting in verse 5 of chapter 14. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So that whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. No matter what you believe about these things, I found this really interesting, actually. Paul is calling this church to unity, but listen to what he says in verse 5. He's basically saying, like, whatever you believe, you believe it. Like, hold strong to your convictions. And here's, here's what I think is kind of interesting, right? Paul is talking, he's telling this church, be strong in your convictions. Now, isn't, isn't, <coughs> isn't two people <coughs> having strong, strong opinions on two sides of an issue opposite of unity? Yes. <laughs> but not, not in this way. Because here's where he goes from that. Doesn't, I mean, you think about that. If doesn't strong opinions on two sides doesn't kind of make things worse. But not when, uh, here, not, because here's the, the third thing that I see in this passage. When others in the church have different, different convictions that are not on these essential things, love them. Love them. Even though I think one way and you think another way. Even though I think you can eat meat and someone else said, I'm just putting ourselves in this church in Rome. It's not really important here in 2020. But even though I think you can eat meat and someone else says, no, you can't eat meat. Even though I think we should celebrate these days and someone else says, no, you can't celebrate these days. We, there's, there's, every day is the same. We love each other. Amen. We love each other. And verse, verse 13, therefore, in chapter 14, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. There's Paul kind of weighing in on the issue there. This is what I think. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it's unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. And I want you to just hear that word and just, just think this. If someone thinks differently than you, think about this issue of, that Paul is writing here in the, in, to this church in Rome about being a vegetarian or not. If someone is a vegetarian in this church and Paul is saying, I believe I can eat meat, but if eating meat is going to harm this other person, if it's going to cause distress to them, then I shouldn't do it. Then I shouldn't do it. Because if I do it, knowing that it's causing them distress, I am no longer acting in love. When people, and, and, and I think we can take this into our context as well, if there are issues on which we disagree, we love each other because that's what it takes to be united. Even if I wholeheartedly believe that you are wrong, McDonald's fries are not better than an ounce. I'm going to love you. And I might even go to McDonald's with you every once in a while. I probably would go to McDonald's with you every once in a while. Because I love you. And we can be united, even in areas that we disagree. I know McDonald's in and out, that's just a small thing. But you get what I'm saying here. In areas that we disagree, we love each other. We love each other. Here's the, here's the fourth thing I think we get from this passage 
is that as we are loving each other and as we are uniting, even in a community where there are disagreements and there are, there are people have different opinions, different things, we build our relationships on what is clear. Our relationships are built on what is clear. Verse 19 and 20. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine than do anything else that will cause your brother to stumble. I just want you to hear these words. Do what leads to peace and mutual edification. In areas where we disagree, we build our relationships on the things that do matter and then on the things that are clear. Here's what this church had. This church was a church that followed Jesus. And they built their relationships on that. It didn't matter that some of them thought they could eat. Some of them didn't. It didn't matter that some of them thought they should celebrate certain days and some of them shouldn't. It didn't matter that Simon was a zealot and Matthew was a tax collector. What mattered was that Jesus was their focus. The mission was the focus. They were united around the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what unites us as a church as well. And here's, here's I think, where, where Paul even takes the next step. Is he, he even talks in, in, in chapter 15 here, verse 1 and 2. Let's read this. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. Those people that disagree with you on those certain issues, we need to be looking for ways to serve those people, to build those relationships in other ways, to be able to serve those people, to make sure that these divisions are not, are not dividing us. It's okay to have different opinions on different things. What matters is that Jesus is what unites us. I think, I think chapter 14 Verse 17 is really the crux of where, this, where Paul is going here. It says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. I want you to just hear this. For the, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is what it's all about. The kingdom of God is not about what side of the aisle you sit on. Politically, theologically, ideologically, the kingdom of God is not about that. The kingdom of God is, as he says here, not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about those things. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus. See, we are united around our faith in Jesus. And this unity is the unity that Jesus is praying for in John chapter 17, if we go back to where we started here. John chapter 17, Jesus prays that we might be one so that the world would know that he was sent by God. And that the world would know that God loved them just as he loved Jesus. Think about that. 
when the world looks into our gospel community and sees disunity, sees disagreement, sees just a disjointed people, we're missing it. But when the world around us looks into this gospel community and sees the way that we love each other, sees that our focus is on Jesus, sees that I believe things that are different than you believe, that are different than you believe, that are different than you believe, and you believe things that are different than this person and that person in all sorts of different areas of life. But what we agree on is this. God, the holy, just creator of all things, looked at us in our sin and sent his son Jesus Christ to die for our sins and rise again so that we might be restored to him forever. This is what unites us. This is what we believe. This is what makes this gospel community so unique that in a world and in a culture where disagreement and, and just that is the norm. We have a place where those disagreements aren't what defines us. Our political preference is not what defines us. Our theological preference is not what defines us, although a little bit in our church, right? Since it is a church. <laughs> That's not what it's about. What defines us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what our unity is based on. That's what drives us to wake up in the morning and to go. That's what drives us to come here and to worship. That's what drives everything that we do. So in this gospel community, we need to be united. Now I'm just talking about this church. I'm talking about all the churches. That we are united around one thing. There's Mountain View Church, a couple streets down right now. You know what they're doing right now? Worshiping the same God that we are. Praying to the same God that we are. Preaching out of the same Bible. I know Pastor Ken, he's a great guy. You know what this church over here, Southgate, is doing? Worshiping the same God that we are. Do we have some differences? Oh yeah, for sure we do. But the main thing is Jesus Christ. Amen. We are united around our faith in Jesus. We're united around the gospel. On, again, like last week, small scale, this church, this is what unites us. Large scale, big C church, this is what unites us. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In a culture of division and disunity, we are united in the gospel. And I want to just remind you of this. The unity of the church directly affects the spread of the gospel in the world. Amen. It's important for us to be united. It's important for this community to be united. Now, again, do we have to agree on everything? No. And we don't. And we won't. <laughs> because we're human. And that's just the way it is. But we do agree on this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth died on the cross, took our place in the line of judgment. <laughs> died for our sins, rose again on the third day so that we, you and I might be united with God forever. Amen. This is what unites us.
I'm not really sure how to, how to pray after this. I'm not really sure what to challenge you with after this other than to say this. What's the main thing? What, I mean, when the church loses its focus on Jesus, we do damage to the church. Have you lost focus? Is it somewhere other than Jesus? I pray that it's on Jesus. I really do. And, I, and I, I'm going to be praying along with you that my focus would be on Jesus. That I wouldn't be sidetracked by the disagreements and the different things that are going on in life. There's, there's a lot that can distract us from Jesus, but let's keep our focus on Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you. We give you praise this morning. God, you are amazing. You, you have called all of these people from different areas of the world, from different cultures, from different <laughs> backgrounds, different belief systems. And we're all in this one place, worshiping together. God, we are united around this one thing. Even if nothing else unites us, we are united around this one thing, that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us, to rise on the third day so that we might be restored to you forever. God, I just, I pray that this would just remain first and foremost in our minds, that in this community we would be united around this one thing. God, I just pray that you would, uh, that you would go ahead of us this week. And as we, as we go into a world where there is division, where there is disunity, would you just constantly, just obviously, God, make it obvious to us the contrast between the world and the church, where in, where in the world there's so much disunity and disagreement in the church, there, those are present, but there is a unity in this place because of your gospel. May we continue to be united by your gospel, by your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As you stand, let me just say a quick word of blessing over you. Would you just hold your hands out and just receive this blessing? Actually, I'm going to read it out of, out of Romans chapter 15 here. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, may we go in the peace of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.